Welcome to From the View Box with Hal and Chris. This is the podcast of the UMass Medical School Department of Radiology. My name is Hal Lowe from the Division of Emergency Radiology. And I am Christopher Cernelia from Musculoskeletal Imaging. Welcome back to the podcast. Today, our guest is Dr. Alan Goldstein. Alan is Chief of Abdominal Radiology at UMass. Uh, and he is here to speak to us today about the topic of uh, imaging ovarian masses. Uh, this is uh, not only an interesting uh, topic, fascinating for many of us radiologists, but uh, an often confused and a true diagnostic dilemma in, in many clinical cases. So Alan is going to sort of break it down for us and tell us uh, how he uh, does these evaluations uh, in this expert manner. Welcome, Alan. Thank you very much, Howe and Chris, for having me. Um, happy to be here and happy to talk about my approach to uh, ovarian masses. That's great, Alan. Thanks for for coming. I know we've been looking forward to having this uh, discussion for a while with COVID and all of our schedules. So it's great to finally have you on. Um, I think it maybe as a starting point uh, on our discussion for ovarian um, lesions, I know. Uh, the few times I see some pelvic uh, abnormalities when I'm looking at some pelvic uh, MR or CT and something certainly when I was a resident that's challenging is discerning ovarian mass from something that's, you know, adnexal or something that's outside the the ovary. Uh, maybe we could start there and how you kind of, um, you know, approach that and maybe some pearls for the, for the trainees. Sure, Kama. Sounds good, Chris. That's a great place to start because, you know, you certainly don't want to send a patient to surgery and then have the gynecologic surgeon tell you that uh, it turned out being a non-gynecologic lesion. So, Two things that um, that I do to make sure that a mass is actually ovarian is uh, one, the ovarian vessels, and two, the round ligament. So first off, what you can do is you can follow the ovarian vessels down to the mass. So if you kind of go to the left renal vein, you can follow the left ovarian vein down to the mass. And if that goes right into the mass, you know that it's a left ovarian mass. Same thing on the right. You can start at the cava, kind of around the level of the right renal vein and follow the right ovarian vein down to the mass. And if it goes right into it, you have a you know good idea that it's actually an ovarian mass. Another thing you can do is follow the round ligament. And so what uh, I usually do is I start at the inguinal canal on either side, and you can see a very thin, smooth band usually tracking back toward the adnexa. And if that band goes back to the mass, you also have a a good idea that that's going to be an ovarian mass. And these are things that you can pretty routinely see on on CT and MRI, not so much ultrasound. um, But uh, if you have a CT or an MRI, these are things that you can find and are very useful to um, help you discern that the mass is ovarian. Yeah, so those are some really good, helpful, uh, I think, landmarks and anatomic uh, things that we can look for to help you identify the ovaries and and help, uh, I guess, find the origin of the pathology. Um, I guess before we get into that, um, are there things that you can maybe offer to the, the trainees as far as things that you commonly keep in the front of your mind or you know often uh, see as um, diagnostic mimics, uh, things that you um, need to you know make sure. Um, there's no, uh, you know, um, overlapping of imaging, you know, you know, routine pitfalls, if you will, uh, in the uh, in the adnexa. 
So once you've actually followed the, the vessels in the round ligament to the ovary, there still could be a couple of um, non-ovarian things that can kind of trick you in the adnexa. So I'm going to start with those before I start, you know, talking about the actual ovarian masses. So I'm just going to run through a few things you got to make sure that it's not before we talk about what it might be. So the first thing that you've got to make sure that it's not is something coming from the appendix. And so uh, in the right adnexa, if you have a cystic mass there, you really want to make sure it's not an appendiceal mucosal, because that would be something that needs to be taken care of by a surgical oncologist or a colorectal surgeon rather than a, a GYN surgeon. So I always have to, so I always try to account for the appendix, whether it's normal somewhere else or absent from an appendectomy. Another interesting thing that you can see in the adnexa is something called a peritoneal inclusion cyst. And what that is, is a loculated fluid collection that surrounds the ovary. And basically what happens is the ovulating ovary releases a little bit of fluid and that fluid can get trapped around the ovary in patients who have a reason for it. And the most common reason for it is, uh, is adhesions. And these are gonna be patients who've had prior surgery, inflammatory bowel disease, or endometriosis. And because that fluid is trapped by adhesions, peritoneal inclusion cysts are gonna have these bizarre angulated shapes. They're just gonna look weird. And um, oftentimes what you wanna find is a normal ovary somewhere either in the cyst or along the wall of the cyst. Uh, and that's uh, another thing that uh, I just try to think about when I'm evaluating these. Um, a third thing, which is truly an adnexal lesion, uh, is a hydrosalpinx. So that is going to be two from coming from the fallopian tubes uh, rather than the ovary. And that has that kind of characteristic tubular serpiginous kind of look on all imaging modalities. Um, a fourth thing that we commonly see in the adnexa that you have to make sure that it's not is a subserosal fibroid. Um, that is going to be a solid mass, and it's going to pretty much look like a fibroid anywhere else. So on MRI, it'll be dark on T2. And what you want to find on pretty much any imaging modality that you're looking at is the myometrial bridge that connects it back to the myometrium. And then another really nice thing on MRI that you can look for is feeding vessels coming from the uterus. So that's a substrosal fibroid. And then the last thing I'll talk about you should always have in the back of your mind when you're evaluating a mass pretty much anywhere is metastasis. And, uh, you know, you can't really differentiate an ovarian metastasis or an adnexal metastasis from a primary ovarian tumor. Um, but it's just something you should have in the back of your mind, especially if a patient has a history of cancer. So just real quick, those five things that I kind of always keep in my mind, appendix, peritoneal inclusion cyst, hydrosalpinx, fibroid, and metastasis. Awesome. That's some really uh, great pearls and uh, some, some pitfalls that the residents and trainees should be aware of. Um, I guess now we can get into, um, you know, the ovary itself. So if we've uh, established that uh, the process is ovarian in origin, um, how do you go about characterizing these ovarian lesions? So the first thing that I'll do is just ask myself, first off, is it a tumor or not? So the only thing I really kind of think about, you know, in terms of it not being a tumor is, is this an endometrioma? So an endometrioma is going to be uh, an endometriotic implant that you see in premenopausal patients, 
on the ovary or in the adnexa, and it's going to have your characteristic imaging features. So on ultrasound, it's going to be homogeneously echogenic with no internal flow. Um, on CT, it's usually hyperdense due to hemorrhage, but uh, you know can be a dilemma. And then on MR, it's T1 hyperintense due to blood, has that classic T2 shading, and uh, doesn't enhance. So if it's T1 hyperintense, I just want to make sure it's not an endometrioma. So let's just say we've done that, and now we can officially dive into true ovarian tumors. So once we've established that the tumor is truly ovarian, I like to break it down into three different groups. And these are kind of three different histologies that you can have. Is it an epithelial tumor? Is it a sex cord stromal tumor? Or is it a germ cell tumor? Epithelial tumors arise from the lining of the ovary or if there's endometriosis in the ovary. And these are your serous, mucinous, endometrioid, clear cell. You don't really need to know those terms, but those are the types of tumors that arise uh, from the epithelium. Sex cord stromal tumors arise from sex cords or ovarian stroma, and these are going to be fibromas, fibrothecomas, and then other stuff like granulosa cells, Sertoli, Leydig. Again, you don't need to know all those pathologic terms. Germ cell tumors are going to arise from the germ cells in the ovary, and the most common is going to be a dermoid cyst. Um, and then the other stuff is going to be akin to testicular tumors that you may see, yolk sac tumors, choriocarcinoma, mixed germ cell tumors, and um, the equivalent of a seminoma in the ovary, which is a dysgerminoma. Again, for my approach, you don't really need to know all those different terms, but just to give you kind of a framework to work with, um, those are the kinds of pathologies you may see. So again, I just break it down into three types. Is it epithelial? Is it sex cord stromal? Or is it a germ cell? Okay, Alan, um, let me ask you this question. How do you differentiate um, between uh, those three types of ovarian tumors. We're talking about epithelial cell types, uh, sex cord stromal cell types, and then germ cell types. Yeah, so I have a very basic framework in my approach to these, and uh, this is pretty much how it goes. So epithelial tumors are going to be cystic tumors with solid components. Sex cord stromal tumors are going to be solid tumors with cystic components. And germ cell tumors are going to be typically large, bizarre masses in young patients. So that's how I initially break down the general appearance of a tumor into one of those three subtypes. Great. That's, and that's a, that's a fantastic way to think about it uh, for, I think, mainly for uh, radiologists and trainees who maybe have not seen very many of these tumors, uh, thinking about the, um, the, the, the predominant imaging feature uh, of the of a tumor, I think really could help us sort of differentiate between uh, epithelial cell, uh, sex cord, and, and germ cell type tumors. Um, I, I just, I want to mention to our audience at this point right now that um, Dr. Goldstein has um, graciously uh, provided three excellent resources uh, for our audience uh, on this particular topic of um, uh, ovarian uh, tumors and uh, reporting out uh, ovarian masses and the terminology we should be using. So please uh, look in the show notes for those. All right, great, Alan. Uh, let me just ask you a follow-up question about uh, specifically, let's start with the epithelial uh, tumor types, essentially. You know, this is one area I think uh, many trainees 
and and practicing radiologists uh, honestly get confused because you hear terms, uh, the term serious mucinous, cystadenoma, cystadenocarcinoma, and it can be a little confusing sort of word salad. Now, how, how do you, how do you think about, how do you approach and think about those sort of subtypes? Uh, or do you even think about uh, the histology at all when you're interpreting the image? How do you deal with the epithelial types of tumors? Yeah, that's, that's a, that's a really good question. How, um, so, you know, honestly, um, I think that all those terms, like you said, it's kind of like a word salad. And what you're talking about are, are histologic terms that we as radiologists um, are not very good at diagnosing. So, you know, a lot of the times I'll say, I think that something is a serous tumor and it turns out to be mucinous. I say it's mucinous and it turns out to be serous. But the more important thing is whether or not it's benign or malignant. That's something that we can actually help in terms of triaging these patients. So the way that I break down these epithelial tumors is, is it benign? Is it borderline? Or is it malignant? Could be mucinous, could be serous, could be seromucinous. Those things don't really matter. What matters is how... um, you know, is how you approach your designation as benign, borderline, or malignant. So I can take you guys uh, through through my approach there as well. So a, a benign tumor is going to be either a unilocular cyst or a cyst with a few thin septations, three millimeters or less, no solid enhancing components, okay? Some internal complexity, but, you know, nothing too worrisome. On the other side, a malignant tumor is going to have solid enhancing components or mural nodules that are a centimeter or greater in size. They enhance their T2 intermediate, you know, evil gray on T2, restrict diffusion. You know, if it has solid enhancing components, it's probably um, malignant. In between there, you have these borderline tumors, which are kind of your pre-malignant tumors. And these are tough, okay? So these are kind of in between imaging features of benign and malignant tumors. And what I'll say is that they usually have multiple solid mural nodules that are less than a centimeter in size with enhancement. And sometimes these prove benign on path and sometimes these prove malignant on path. And so if I'll see a tumor that has multiple small mural nodules in it, I'll usually say that it's at least borderline, just to give the GYN surgeon the idea that this could end up being malignant. So that's my approach to uh, the three types of ovarian epithelial tumors. All right. Um, okay, Alan. So now we've, we've talked in depth uh, about um, these epithelial type of tumors. What about the the... the the other two uh, types of ovarian tumors, which are the sex cord stromal tumors and the germ cell tumors. What is your diagnostic approach on imaging for for those types of tumors? Yeah, so sex cord stromal tumors and germ cell tumors are going to be less common than epithelial tumors. So that's why um, I wanted to talk about the epithelial tumors first. For sex cord stromal tumors, again, it's going to be a solid mass with cystic components. And honestly, the way I break it down is either it's a fibroma or it's surgical. So what that means is if you can classify a sex cord stromal tumor as a classic fibroma, the patient doesn't necessarily have to have surgery. If it looks anything other than a classic fibroma, 
the pathology really doesn't matter all that much. Uh, and it's, it's a surgical lesion that has to come out because it could be malignant. And so uh, fibroma typically looks like a fibroid. Um, fibroid fibroma is kind of how I think about it. Um, on T2, it's hypo-intense. And on T1, it's hypo-intense as well. Maybe iso-intense to the adjacent myometrium of the uterus. Um, they demonstrate low-grade enhancement and uh, can restrict diffusion a little bit. But uh, still, it's mostly T2 hypo-intense and um, demonstrates little enhancement. If you see a lesion like that, um, you can be pretty sure that it's a fibroma. Uh, and those, especially in patients with surgical comorbidities, don't need to come out. If it looks anything different than that, it could really turn out to be any of the other pathologies that I mentioned, you know, granulosa cell, sertoli Leydig tumor, all that other stuff that you don't really need to know. Uh, and those, those are surgical lesions that need to come out. In terms of germ cell tumors, I take a very similar approach, um, you know, and my approach is that either it's a dermoid cyst or it has to come out. Um, so for a germ cell tumor, you know, if it's a classic dermoid cyst, containing fat, calcium, um, that is something that can either be followed up or left alone if the patient has surgical comorbidities. Uh, otherwise, um, if it's bizarre and large, especially in a young patient, uh, chances are it's going to be a malignant germ cell tumor and has to come out. Uh, I just want to add one word on dermoid cysts real quick. And the key word here is cyst. A dermoid cyst has to be a cyst. So there has to be no internal enhancement within a dermoid cyst. If you see a fat-containing ovarian mass, but there's internal enhancement, that's no longer a dermoid cyst. That's, that, that's a malignant immature teratoma, and that has to come out as well. So that's, that's, my, that's my word on uh, germ cell tumors there. Um, I, I want to just kind of move forward. I know we talked very early in our uh, um our discussion about, you know, the importance of determining the ovarian origin, obviously, you know, making sure we have the right uh, specialist on board, right? We have to determine that the, um, you know, this is indeed ovarian in origin, but let's assume that we've made the correct determination, um, you know, using some of the things that you had talked about, um, avoiding some of those pitfalls, and it is a GYN tumor. What does the, the GYN surgeon really need to know about these, these lesions? Yeah, great question, Chris. So, um, one of the things that the GYN surgeon needs to know is how confident you are, uh, whether the tumor is benign or not. So a benign tumor, a benign ovarian epithelial tumor, ovarian fibroma, dermoid cyst, stuff like that, that can be taken out surgically by a, a general GYN surgeon. Um, but if there's any concern for malignancy at all, uh, a GYN oncologist should really take that out because what will happen then is you'll get a pathology frozen section during the case and the patient might need further surgery such as lymphadenectomy, debulking, surgical staging, et cetera. That's something that a general gynecologist is not going to do. And so you really don't want the patient to have to go back to the OR a second time for a staging procedure. So it's really important to um, talk about how confident you are as to whether or not it's a benign lesion. Um, and then another thing that is really important is the relationship of the mass to adjacent structures, right? So if, you know, typically with a, with a malignant uh, ovarian mass, you want to know if it's invading other structures that are adjacent, like the pelvic sidewall, bowel, bladder, vessels, 
Um, and that's going to be important for surgical planning too, as to whether, you know, maybe colorectal needs to be involved, maybe urology needs to be involved. Um, if a tumor is invading the pelvic sidewall, it's often unresectable, or they'll have to leave some tumor behind and the patient will need radiation after that. So um, that's another really, really important thing is, is to discuss its relationship to the adjacent structures. Yeah, those are uh, some really good points. And I think you know, for, for someone like myself who doesn't, you know, deal with these, uh, issues much anymore, right. I'll, I'll, I'll probably call up, uh, my favorite, my, uh, my friendly abdominal imager to, <laughs> to get some consults if I'm seeing something within the pelvis. But, um, but it sounds very similar. I mean, think about from a, a higher, um, you know, 30,000 foot view of, um, managing patients, I think for the residents to think about it, um, you know, what you mentioned about, you know, concern for malignancy and getting the GYN oncologist involved. It's very similar to what we do in MSK, right? If we're thinking about something malignant, you know, you know, a general orthopedist may not, you know, want to be dealing with that. We would, you know, get on the phone with our orthopedic oncologist. And then similarly that the, when you talked about relationships with adjacent structures, again, that's a great point. You know, when you're dealing with any type of tumor, you know, as these get large and, and can be invasive to adjacent structures, um, you know, those either be at a, a GYN uh, oncolog oncological surgeon or an orthopedic oncologist, um, uh, you know, they may need assistance as well. And in planning you know, those surgeries, you know, thinking about, you know, what other structures it's invading, what, you know, who would be best um, available to kind of plan for those surgeries. And, and many times I, I'm sure, um, you know, you could agree these cases are discussed at multidisciplinary conferences and, and, um, you know, allowing for, um, you know, preoperative planning and, and management. So, um, again, it's specific to what we're talking about today, but I think, you know, thinking about a big picture, um, you know, is this malignant? Do I need to get, you know, someone else involved uh, or consider? Uh, so those are some, some really good points. Well, thanks, Alan, uh, for this is a, a great review of, uh, again, a um, sometimes confusing and uh, a clinical diagnostic dilemma for many people. This, uh, this topic of uh, imaging ovarian, ovarian masses and ovarian tumors. Do, do you have any uh, sort of uh, key takeaways, key points, uh, you know, by way of summary? Yeah. So basically to, to summarize uh, the, the topic, the, the first question I ask myself is, is this ovarian? And so I'll use the uh, ovarian vessels and the round ligament to take myself uh, to the adnexa by following those structures. Um, if it is truly ovarian slash adnexal, I just want to make sure that it's not the appendix, uh, a fibroid, or any of the other things that uh, I discussed earlier on in the talk. Once I've established that it's ovarian, what I try to do is break it down into one of those three subtypes that we talked about, epithelial, sex cord stromal, or germ cell. If I decide that it's epithelial, meaning it's a cystic mass with solid components, I wanna know if it's benign, borderline, or malignant. If I decide that it's a sex cord stromal tumor, which is a solid mass with cystic components, I wanna try to figure out whether it's a fibroma or not a fibroma. And then if it's a germ cell tumor, which is again, gonna be a, a bizarre looking mass in a young patient, I wanna decide, is it just a dermoid cyst or is it not a dermoid cyst? And uh, that's pretty much my, my whole approach. That's great, Alan. I think, uh, you know, this has been a great talk. I think this is gonna be really helpful, you know, to, for the residents to kind of peer into your approach to these lesions and, you know, your ability to kind of simplify the process of uh, classifying and characterizing uh, these ovarian masses, um, you know, all that and providing some good, 
good little pearls and, uh, and pitfalls, I think is always, uh, always helpful for the residents. So, um, I just want to thank you for taking the time out of your, of your uh, schedule. I know you've been real busy. Uh, we appreciate you coming in, uh, hope to have you back sometime. Um, maybe next time it'll be in person as, uh, as this COVID stuff kind of resolves itself. So. Sounds great. Happy to be a part of this and happy to come back, uh, for future recordings. And that concludes today's episode. Thank you for listening and supporting from the view box. We've attached additional reading materials to the episode notes as provided by our guest. And please visit us at www.umassmed.edu backslash radiology. Thank you to our colleagues Charlene Barron, Tom Delaney, and Dan Ramsaran for their technical assistance. See you next time.